Leadership has been studied for about 100 years and we really haven't changed the way that we lead. It's time, I think, for a new way to think about and practice leadership and shift that into what I call human leadership. There has to be an intent on the part of a leader to want to have that desire to get to know the person who's working with them. There needs to be that natural curiosity there because if it's not authentic, if it's faked, people can tell that. There has to be an intention to help people feel heard and help people feel understood, helping them feel that they matter, helping inspire them and helping them feel seen. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Ginny Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast, and today we have Dr. Jennifer Nash, author of the new book, here it is, Be Human, Lead Human. I guess it's written for humans. Jennifer is a leadership expert and consultant to Fortune 50 organizations such as, I'm sure you've heard of these, Google, Ford, ExxonMobil, JP Morgan, IBM, Boeing, and Verizon. Her 25-year resume includes serving in executive and leadership roles at Deloitte Consulting and Ford Motor Company, and is an adjunct professor at the University of Michigan. Go Blue. She contributes to Harvard Business Review, has presented her research at Columbia University, and is a Harvard Institute of Coaching Fellow. We have a star coach in the room right now. So Jennifer, how are you? I'm well. How are you today, Mitch? I'm doing great. So I've got your book here and I wanted just to know a little bit more um, about your story. And I'd like to dig in. When did you know, because everyone has their moment, when did you know that you were so passionate about leadership that you wanted to devote your life to helping build leaders? Yeah, you know, I think it actually started when I was working at Ford Motor Company. So I have a story in the book and I won't spoil the, I won't have a spoiler alert here. So, but I have a story about how um, Alan Mulally, it was the leader at Ford at the time, and he had taken a certain action that really um, piqued my curiosity about why some leaders seem to be so much more connected to their people than others do. And so that led me on nearly a 10-year quest to pursue my MBA, focus on management organizations, you know, the study of people, human behavior, how people do things they do, why they do that in the workplace and that way they do it. And then also continuing on and getting my PhD in the same thing in Case Western University. So it really piqued my curiosity, you know, what makes some leaders good and what makes some leaders great? And that was the study that consumed me for about 10 years of my life. That is exciting. That, um, I think for me, it was opposite. It was, I got my MBA and then I went to the working world and I saw how awful it was. <laughs> and that's what motivated me to start focusing on building leaders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I had, I did not have, um, Malali. I had Ahti Vaisanen, who was actually the best leader at Nokia. Ahti, if you're listening, I still talk about you all the time. 
And then for the rest of the time, they were pretty, pretty horrible. So now you Well, the other thing that interested me too, like, because when I, I have a background in foreign languages and music and dance. And so when I landed my first job as a French speaking customer service representative um, in an automotive company, I could not make sense of the landscape. I didn't understand why people kept using sports terminology to talk about everything. I didn't understand why, you know, I was being given these certain things to do and not given like the big picture of like how it fit in and what my value was and what the role was. Um, and so it really just, you know, I started observing behavior from the moment I stepped into the workplace. And it was just this amazing laboratory of how to observe human behavior and people in this natural element of work. And what do they do? Why do they do it? Why are they behaving that way? How could I make sense of that so that I could contribute what I needed to contribute to the organization? And that was actually where I started. So that happened for about 16 years before I went back and got my MBA. Um, so it, it started early, the the interest and fascination and how people behave and particularly how those you're looking up to and want to emulate in the workplace behave. And like you mentioned, you know, I saw many examples of leaders that I wouldn't want to emulate. And I saw other examples of leaders that I thought, wow, I'd love to, you know, embody those qualities and, and help inspire the people around me to, you know, achieve their potential. So that dichotomy was always what kept my interest and what kept me, um, kept me on that path towards learning more and diving deeper. That's beautiful. Um, French. And what else do you speak? I speak German and Spanish and a tiny bit of Chinese. Wow. Okay, well, we're going to keep it in English today. Um, you say in your book, so in this book, Be Human, Lean Human, um, you say in the book that the difference between an average leader and an outstanding leader is deceptively simple. The secret to driving exceptional performance is being a human leader. So what is a human leader? Well, I think it's a great question, you know, and I get that question a lot. Because some people look at me with sort of a blank stare when I say, well, the book is called Be Human, Lead Human. And like, well, leaders lead people. Who else would they be leading? They're, this doesn't make sense to me. Or they think it's, it's, you know, why did she write a book on this? It's pretty self-evident. Um, but I would also, I would invite those same people to really think about what is it that you're leading at work? Are you leading people or are you leading productivity? Are you leading people? Or are you leading profitability? Are you leading people or are you leading process and procedure? And there's no shortage of opportunity to um, improve the way that leaders think about and practice leadership. You know, leadership has been studied for about, at this point, about 100 years. And we really haven't changed the way that we lead. So it's time, I think, for a new way to think about and practice leadership and shift that into what I call human leadership, which is a radical new paradigm to help leaders think and practice leadership from a human-centered perspective that empowers people to power the organization. So tell us then about, um, you put a lot of research into this book, and I'd just love to understand a little bit about the research and what you found from the research that influenced uh, the format of your book. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, I started doing this research back in 2014 and a lot of it came from my doctoral work uh, with Richard Boyatzis at Case Western. And we used the S key, which was the 12 factors of emotional intelligence to base 
a lot of this work on. So it has a very empirically sound and validated uh, instrument that is used to underlie all of the research. Um, so when I finished the PhD, I also went out into the field after that and I gathered more qualitative data from leaders and coaches in the field to see what is happening in the, the leader-employee um, relationship and what is happening with leaders as a whole and what is happening with leaders and their coaches and how they are building those relationships. And what I found is that the outstanding leaders always demonstrated empathy. You know, that was the, it's a key characteristic of an effective leader, as we all know. Um, the other thing I found was that leaders who were super successful in the, in the organization and super successful in their careers were focusing more of their time on relationship building activities than they were on administrivia, like meetings and paperwork and email and things like that. So this this start I started to see a pattern in the data that led me to put together what I called in the book the humans framework. The humans framework. Yes, the humans framework. You know, I'd love to know, since I'm talking to the expert, when you focused on how much time leaders were putting on relationship versus administravia, what was what were the percentages? What was it looking like? Yeah, it was pretty eye-opening. So the leaders that were focusing most of the time on administravia and, you know, meeting kind of task-oriented things was about 80% of their time. Mm-hmm. And the leaders that were focusing more on building relationships, they were spending the same, right? They were spending 80% of the 80 to 90, 95% of their time on building relationships. So it was exactly flipped, you know, in the opposite, in the findings. What were the uh, practices that, um, that you were finding in that 80 to 85%? What were they, what were they doing? Because a, a lot of leaders would say, well, they weren't getting your work, their work done. So what were you finding? What was the work? that um, fell into the 80 to 85%. Yeah, for the leaders who were focusing on relationships, you mean? Yes, yes. You know, often I would ask leaders, you know, do you have a strategic relationship plan? What is your focus for getting to know the people who work with you, getting to know what their priorities are, getting to know what is important to them, understanding what makes them tick, you know, what is their intrinsic motivation for being there? Um, and, and really taking the time to get to know this person who's standing in front of you as more than just an employee, as more than just the totality of the output that they will produce for your organization. And that's the sum value that they have. When in reality, we're all multifaceted, we're all complex human beings. And when you understand that perhaps, you know, Joe is motivated to do X, Y, or Z because of this intrinsic value that he holds as one of his key drivers, then you've already found that intrinsic motivation for him. You as leaders, we don't, we, we, we don't, um, we don't motivate other people. We have to create the conditions that allow motivation to occur. And when we understand what's important to people and what drives them, we create that empowering environment to allow people to perform at their best, to show up every day, to be excited to be there and do work that they feel passionate about and that drives results. And when leaders focus on the people, we know that the performance improves. So definitely finding intrinsic motivation, um, which is kind of, Dan Pink talks about that a lot and um, actually spending time in conversations. Once you find the intrinsic motivation of, of one of the people that's on your team, how do you then work with that to keep that person engaged? 
Well, I think there's several ways you can work with that, right? I think one of the things about understanding your people is also understanding how they prefer to be valued and appreciated and shown that they matter. So for some people, that could be a raise in pay. It's an intrinsic, extrinsic motivator, right? For some people, that could be um, an opportunity to go further extend their learning journey, right? Maybe you support them in going back to school because that's one of their intrinsic drivers. They love to learn. They just want to gain as much knowledge as they possibly can. And yet maybe another person, you know, they really got used to working remotely during the pandemic. They got used to setting their own hours for the most part, right? And having that autonomy, having that voice, having that agency in how, where, and when, and why they work. And so allowing them to continue that, even though we're post-pandemic, and creating that environment where you as a leader say, look, I trust you to get the work done. And in fact, I know that you were more productive during the pandemic. And so there's no reason why that shouldn't continue now. And so perhaps for that person, you know, that driver for them is that autonomy to schedule their day how they need to schedule it. Because maybe they have elder care that their elder care needs that they are handling. Maybe they have child care that they need to drop off in the morning. And it just gives them that flexibility without having to go and ask permission from someone that, oh, I'm going to show up at work at this time or, oh, I'm going to stop work at this time because I have these other obligations that I need to take care of and trust that they will get the work done. You have an article on LinkedIn where you share the guiding principles of human leadership. Do you want to share with us some of those guiding principles? Sure. Are there any in particular that stand out to you or would you just like me to run through a few? Because you did the research, what are the ones that you're finding that are um, that are most helpful for for us as we're developing our own leadership? You know, I think one that really stands out for me is that, you know, as leaders or as, you know, business people with, you know, tenure in our careers, we often focus so much on technical ability and building that skill base and building that capability in our functional area. And what I invite listeners to think about is, you know, understanding your people and who works with you is just as important from a functional standpoint. It doesn't necessarily have to fall under HR. That isn't HR's purview to understand everyone in the organization. It's you as a leader to care for and understand the people that are working with you and helping you achieve the goals that you have and then in turn helping them achieve the goals that they have. So it's a partnership. So when I say being technically proficient in the human element, that's what I mean. Understanding the people who work for you understanding what makes them tick, understand what their motivators are, and creating that environment that allows that flourishing to take place, as well as that psychological safety, so people can take risks and stretch and grow. Hey, we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means the world to us, and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. How have you seen this um, this understanding each person's um, motivations? How do you see it working in this virtual world um, where there's a couple things going on? One is, you know, just like you and I have never met in person, um, we're having a conversation on, well, this is Riverside right now. Um, so that's one, uh, one uh, interaction. And then how does it work when we're in a, t- in a team setting again, on Zoom or maybe even in person, um, how does that dynamic work that keeps the leadership human? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I think in both situations, there has to be an intent on the part of a leader to 
want to have that desire to get to know the person who's working with them. You know, there needs to be that natural curiosity there because if it's not authentic, if it's faked, people can tell that. And it really turns them off. It actually is a demotivator. So what is it that you can find to be curious about if it's something that you need to work on a little bit? Otherwise, if you're a person that just has a lot of curiosity about things, it it doesn't matter if it's in person or if it's over a camera just like we're doing today. I think what's most important is that there's an intention to really take even just a minute to ask someone a question. It doesn't take a lot of time, you know, whereas if you were walking the halls and you maybe you stopped at the water cooler, there'd be that organic kind of like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, how'd your kids do at their soccer game this weekend, right? Like just just those kinds of questions. Um, there's no reason that can't happen in a hybrid environment either. You just have to be a little more intentional about how you design that. And so maybe there's a 30 second, you know, inter- like before we got on this time, right? We had a few minutes to talk before I got on here. So yeah, just having that organic conversation and seeing what emerges and taking that time to just show the interest and demonstrate that you care about this human being that's in front of you. Great. Um, one of the principles um, in your book is that people want to be seen, heard, understood, appreciated, inspired, connected, and feel that they matter. How do you do this in a, in the hybrid or virtual world? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. I think, first of all, there has to be an intention um, to help people feel heard and help people feel understood and, you know, go through the rest of my humans framework, right, which is where that comes from, helping them feel that they matter, you know, helping inspire them um, and helping them feel seen. And there's many different ways you can do that depending on which dimension of the framework you're talking about. So for example, with being seen, right? Helping someone feel seen. People prefer to be seen in different ways. Sometimes people prefer to be seen and recognized in front of a group. Maybe you shout, give them a shout out on a team meeting. Um, Other people prefer that maybe it's a little more private. So maybe they, you know, you give them a little email that says, hey, great job on that town hall today. I really appreciated how you did specifically X, Y, or Z so they understand what you are appreciating about them. Um, Again, but understanding what each person prefers and how they prefer to feel appreciated and seen is the key to that. So um, I think the humans framework has uh it's surrounded by the relationships framework which i don't know if you saw the diagram in the book or not but um it's the relationships that actually power the humans framework and so creating those connections and understanding how to build those connections and sustain them and nurture them is also part of being human and being a human leader and focusing on like we talked about before right the the leaders who were focusing on relationships had higher productivity and higher performance on their teams Great. Could you give us an example of someone that you, a leader that you worked with and how they took this framework and um, created different results for their team or for their company? Sure. Um, so my example is the person who wrote the forward for my book, Alan Mulally. Okay. I won't do the spoiler alert, right? Because I want people to have that in the book. But um, so Alan, you know, he came into four, right? He was brought in to save the company, essentially. Um, and over the course of seven years, you know, he... Ch- uh, 2006 to 2014, eight years, sorry, um, he transformed the company. He transformed the culture. And part of the way that he did that was to help people feel seen, to help people feel appreciated. 
and to help people feel heard. Um, and I share the personal example that I had from Alan, you know, being a human leader in that way and all of us working to, together to create those results. And when Alan came in, the stock price was nearly at its low in the company history. And when Alan left, he had, he had, he and the team had created gains of 1,837%, I think it was, on the stock price. So I don't know of a more compelling story to share about when you put people first and when you are human-centered and you help people feel that they matter and that they are valued, that it directly relates to the bottom line and the top line, for that matter. Do you want to share your story? Because it's a great... Right at this weekend. It's just, it's, it's a great story. Um, you know, my story was, um, the advice and basically just, so I'm in San Diego and he says, you know what? I need you to go to Finland and I need for you to represent our center, um, and give a 10 minute presentation. And for those of you who know geography, <laughs> San Diego to, to uh, Helsinki is quite a trip. Uh, but the fact that he, he believed in me as a brand new um, product manager made all the difference. I, I would have worked with that man forever, you know, for nothing, because I just felt so appreciated. And I thought your story is phenomenal. And if you want to, I'd love for you to share it. Okay, well, yeah. You know, and I actually, I have the same sentiment about Alan, right? I mean, I've been an entrepreneur now for five years. Um, but the only way that I would go back to working for an employer and working for a leader is if I were working for Alan. That's the only way I would go back. Um, so my story actually starts, I was working in the IT department at Ford Motor Company. And, um, you know, the economy was down. You know, the, the, we were in the Great Recession, essentially. Um, and the IT department leaders decided they wanted to hold um, an employee appreciation event. And so th there were no there were no budgets. I mean, there was no discretionary funding for anything. And so the leaders pitched in together and they bought those white paper plates, you know, those thin picnic style paper plates. Yeah, that don't hold food. Yes. Yes, they don't hold food very well, right? Um, and they bought some crayons and they bought markers and pencils and stickers and pens and stuff. And they scattered them across these tables in the in the IT department building. Um, and so, you know, I was in the middle of my finance course at the University of Michigan at that time. And we had just gotten done talking about, you know, what companies do when they're in the process of, you know, needing to recapitalize and, you know, do these kinds of things. And it was at that same time where Alan had had a meeting in World Headquarters and he was sharing with employees um, on this town hall how um, he had just taken out a little home improvement loan. And that caught my attention, you know, because of what we had been talking about in the finance class. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, do you realize like what he's actually saying? Like he just really freaking mortgaged the entire company, even the blue oval on headquarters building, like, ugh. and being somebody who had stood under that oval and just, you know, that's, the, that's the, like, that was just the, you know, the figurehead of the company. I just, ugh, I couldn't believe it. So we're in this town hall. And so we go back to this build to the IT department. And, you know, there's these tables with stickers. So I decided, okay, he's really, he's, he is, it's very lonely at the top, first of all. You know, there aren't a lot of people that you can usually talk with and trust. And I'm thinking, you know, here's this man who's trying to do all these hard things. And Bill Ford had had the courage and vulnerability to say, look, I'm not the right person for this. I'm going to step aside. I had huge respect for that. And so, you know, Alan comes in, he's doing this hard work. And so I'm like, okay, 
So I'm going to write my paper. I'm going to write my paper plate. I'm going to write a letter of appreciation to Alan on my paper plate. And so I wrote on this plate. Um, and Ford had just celebrated its 100 year anniversary. And so I wrote, you know, you are the change that we needed to see to survive another 100 years. Thank you for being here and thank you for doing what you're doing. And I decorated it with Superman stickers. And I put it in an inner office envelope and, you know, sealed it all upright with the sticker and the little, like, you know, windy thing that makes a figure eight. And I uh, jumped in my Mustang Cobra and I drove over to headquarters. Your boss said not to do that, right? I. He, <laughs> Yeah, so actually I, I had sealed it all up and I dropped it in inner office mail and just totally forgot about it, right? And so a couple weeks later, um, I a couple weeks later, I get called into like skip level, skip level, skip level leader's office and in the table is sitting this inner office envelope and there's like four leaders. So I think it was four, three, four, five, three leaders in there. And I knew immediately what was in the envelope. And so they basically sat me down and they're like, we can't deliver this. I said, well, what do you mean you can't deliver it? It's an inner office envelope. And then I noticed that the inner office envelope had been opened. The seal was broken and the tie was undone. And so I knew, you know, I knew what was going on. And so I, well, you know. And these are, how many, how many managers are seated around the table Jennifer? I, in my memory, there's probably three, four, five. I don't exactly remember how many. Three, four, five managers are sitting around you with a opened envelope of a white paper plate. This is, and so I'm just thinking about how much mon- Ford's money was being spent to bring you in to talk about a, a paper plate with Superman stickers on it. <laughs> Hello? I know, right? I know. When you think about that collective, you know, money that was being spent during that time, it's no wonder that, you know, Ford was in the situation it was in. in some. And so they say you're bad. Well, it, it, yes. <laughs> and, you know, so I've never really been one that deals well with rules and deals well with, you know, perceived things have very much sense to them. And so I just decided, you know, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. It was very important to me that this letter get to where it needed to go. And at that point in my career, I was tired of my voice not being heard. And so I said, okay, fine. So I, you know, I, I literally walked out of that office, grabbed my keys from my desk, walked out to my Mustang Cobra, jumped in there, drove over to world headquarters, ran up the stairs at that point that didn't have all the security, ran up the stairs and like, you know, Talk to Amy and say, hey, like, can you hand this to Alan when he gets back in? Sure, no problem. And so, you know, I walk, I went back town and, you know, went about my business and, you know, didn't think about it for another couple of weeks. Well, I get back into the office one morning and I have a mess of phone, a phone message, like a voicemail from Alan. And in it, he was telling me how, you know, this meant a lot to him and that he had a tear in his eye. And I actually have that recording of the message that I put on my website. Listen to it. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a picture of the paper plate, unfortunately, but I do have that message. Um, and then in the book, well, a little bit later, after I get that message from Alan, you know, a week or so later in interoffice mail, I get this amazing letter from Alan. And it's hand it's handwritten and hand signed by him. And it was the first time ever, Mitch, that I had felt like I was seen in an organization that I mattered and that I was valued. 
And I really wanted to understand how I could help other people feel that same way because I knew I wasn't the only person feeling like that. You know, for most of my career, I felt like my voice didn't matter and that I wasn't heard and that other people were consistently talking over me. And, you know, there's different reasons for that. But, you know, at this point in my career, it was it was it was very clear to me that that was not how I wanted to spend the rest of my career in corporate. Um, And it was definitely, um, you know, a role model of leadership that I aspired to. You know, I was a people leader at that point. Um, but you know, I was way down on the ladder. It wasn't like Alan knew who I was. So for him to take that action, to call me, and then on top of that, to send me this letter and it had all this swag in it, you know, that he sent with it for board and stuff. And that was really cool. Swag always, you know, it's good to my heart. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I just, I felt so, so, um, I felt valued as a human being. Yeah. And it just meant the world to me. And I saved that letter. I mean, I've had it for, you know, I've had it for years. It's beautiful. It says, um, I'm just reading it from your book, you know. And so for those of you who, who are just on the audio, dear Jennifer, and then Jennifer has a huge heart drawn by the artist, Alan Mulally. You know, dear Jennifer, love my certificate of appreciation in quotes, the, the paper plate. Thank you. And thank you for all you're doing for our Ford, Alan five, two, oh, nine. And to me, it's that, you know, this, this one, man, he's an incredible man. And, and during, um, during COVID, he was speaking, you know, in pretty much every, every room, um, that one act led to, you know, look at this. I mean, she wrote a book. His act of human leadership was the catalyst for me to go back and get my MBA and study people and organizations, go back and get my PhD to study more about how can leaders develop these competencies to help everyone feel that they matter and that they're valued. And it was the catalyst for me to write this book and to start my leadership legacy in that way and hopefully leave something that helps other people lead more effectively and make the world a better place. Yeah, and it's just great. The forewords by Alan Mulally, like you said, um, testimonials in here by Richard Biazzi's, by Marshall, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. How can we uh, how can we find out more about you and get this book? Yeah, so if anyone would like to find out more about me, you can go to my website at drjennifernash.com. Um, there's information about the book there. And the book actually also has um, an assessment that goes with it. There's a hand one do in the book, um, but there's also an online one that's completely complimentary. And you can go out there and assess yourself and see how where do you fall on that scale of human leadership. And I will tell you that Alan took that assessment. Um, I'll let him tell you how he scored. Okay. All right. And so there's that um, resource available. There's lots of resources on my website for the, for the human leadership. I love it. No, it's really, really great that you have a free assessment because assessments like this cost like hundreds of dollars. They do. Right. And so for right now it's free. Um, And then you can find the book on Amazon. Great. Yeah. Books on Amazon, be human, lead human by Dr. Jennifer Nash Uh, website, Dr. Jennifer Nash, drjennifernash.com. Yes. And Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on uh, Team Anywhere. Really appreciate it. Um, really love your story. Just had to get that story of the paper plate in there. And um, so the secret is get Superman stickers for your employees and send them up the chain of command. So thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, please share this episode, this great episode with your friends, your colleagues, your family. And we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.
Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow, and by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available.